WordPress has been a dominant force in the world of online publishing for many years because of how battle-tested it is. WordPress is the definitive leader in CMS technology, but there have always been alternatives. Drupal, Ghost, and other open-source CMSs are alternatives to WordPress, and more recently there have been the emergence of the headless CMS category, such as Contentful, which decouples the CMS backend from the front-end presentation layer. Strapi is a popular open-source headless CMS. Pierre Bourgie is the founder of Strapi, and he joins the show to talk about the CMS category, the role that Strapi fills, and the technology behind Strapi. I hope you enjoy the episode. Pierre, welcome to the show. Hey, Jeff. Thanks a lot. So we're talking about Strapi today, and Strapi is a CMS, or you might say it's a framework. And if we're talking about this domain, we have to talk about WordPress at first. WordPress is the dominant CMS. It's been the dominant CMS for a long time, powers a lot of websites on the internet. How has the world of the CMS evolved since the early days of WordPress? Yeah, so WordPress is definitely the leading CMS. It powers 30% of the internet. And so it's really good to build websites. But now the content has to be displayed not only on websites, but also in mobile applications, connected devices. And even the way to create a website really changed in the past few years because developers want to use modern technologies such as React, Vue.js, Angular. And all of these technologies are designed to consume the content from APIs and to display it their own way. So in a traditional CMS like WordPress, you really have two things. You have a backend to manage content and a frontend to display it. But with this new approach, the frontend is really separated from the backend. So it's a new architecture and the frontend consume the content and the CMS now is useful to manage the content. And instead of having a front-end, it has an API which makes the content available to any platform. Strapi is a headless CMS, you might say. And as you're talking about this decoupling between the back-end and the front-end, Strapi would be, I guess, arguably the the front-end, right? But there's also some back-end management components to it. I mean, the way I look at Strapi is it's more like you migrate your data sources to it and then you have a decoupled CMS system. Can you just describe the workflow for taking a existing website and porting it to Strapi? Yeah, sure. So exactly, so that's correct. Strapi is a headless CMS, which means it has no front-end. So when you decide to migrate a website from a traditional CMS to a modern stack, which is often called the Jamstack, so JavaScript API and markup, which is a new architecture, you are going to use a modern technology for the front-end. So it can be React, Vue.js, Angular, or any framework built on top of these frameworks. And so you start developing the front-end. And according to the front-end, you are going to configure the headless CMS. So if you are building a blog, for example, you are going to say in the CMS that every blog post should have a title, should have some content, and should have an image. So that's just an example. So that's the configuration step. And you are going to add some content in your CMS. 
and you are going to configure your front end to connect it actually to the CMS, to the CMS API. So then every time you update the content in the CMS, it's going to be displayed in the front end. So that's the typical workflow. And then as a developer, you will probably give access to the marketing team, for example, to the CMS so they can update the content. And the data sources that we might have in Strapi, we can define relationships between these data sources to make a inheritance hierarchy across them. Can you define the the relate, or I guess not a necessarily inheritance hierarchy, but a relational hierarchy? Can you define the idea of relations between different data types? Yeah, sure. So if you are building a blog, again, because it's a simple example, you will probably have categories for your blog posts. So maybe you want to say each blog post can have one category, or maybe you want each blog post to have several categories. So a CMS gives you the flexibility to define this, and that way you can have a very clear and complex data structure. So you can create relationships. That's the the most basic way to create relations between the content types. So if I set up a Strapi website with, let's say I have I have a WordPress blog and I migrate it to Strapi, why is that advantageous? What can I get out of the changing of my CMS infrastructure? I think it's mostly performances for many reasons. So first of all, in your front end, because you use modern technologies such as React or Gatsby, your website is going to be much faster because there is no page reload every time the user click on a link. And also this website built with a static site generator, for example, can be hosted on a Netlify or Vercel and it can be available anywhere thanks to their CDN. So you will have way better performances. And also when you go from a page to another, so even if you are not using a static website generator, it's, you know, the web browser is not going to request an entire web page, but only the content. So there is less data in the payload, which makes the website much faster. So that's Definitely the main advantage, but headless CMS is also more secure because in most of the traditional CMSs, the security issues come from the template system because it exposes a lot of functions to the templates. But with a headless CMS, you don't have this template system, so it removes a lot of potential issues. And the last thing is maintainability over time because even if you want to create a new website in the future and you want to keep the content with a headless CMS, it's really easy because you keep the content in the headless CMS and you just have to plug your new front end. Okay, and Strapi allows for some flexibility, some configurability with front end frameworks. So can you describe how Strapi integrates with like if I wanted to have a React front end or a Vue front end, and I want to configure some of the code in my CMS, I mean, historically, you know, WordPress. If I want to design my WordPress templates, there's a little bit of work involved in understanding where the bounds of WordPress and the component architecture that you might want in in React is. So, can you just tell me about the 
relationship between the front-end component libraries and the CMS infrastructure? Yeah, sure. So you can basically request Shopee from any front-end technology, and you can do it in any way because Shopee is just an API. So you can use the request library of your choice. You can use Axios or any other library. So freedom is really part of our values in the product. So you can do it your own way. So that's the first thing. But if you want to use something like Gatsby, Gatsby is built on a plugin architecture with different data sources. So for example, we do have a plugin for Gatsby, which makes things really easier. And again, Strapi has an API, which is well-documented and it can be used from anywhere. And we support both REST and GraphQL. So you can use the API of your choice. There's a number of these headless CMS stacks that have come up in the last five years or so. What would you say is the differentiator for Strapi? How does it compare to the other popular headless CMS stacks? Yeah, that's correct. There are a lot of headless CMSs out there now, and it's really becoming a thing. And I think it's good news for the market, and it definitely proves that the traditional CMS market is shifting to the headless CMS approach. So most of the headless CMSs are SaaS, so software as a service, which is nice because you can easily sign up and get your project up and running. But when we created Strapi, so it was in 2015, we were working as freelance developers. We did a lot of websites using traditional CMSs. And we were convinced that if you want to make something with a CMS, it totally makes sense to build something with an open source CMS. So we made Strapi open source from the beginning. And our traction definitely proves that it's a very good way to reach the headless CMS users. And the reason behind this is that most of the big companies still want to host their CMS on their servers, especially for data privacy reasons. So we do have a lot of banks and insurances using Strapi. And the other reason is that developers want to have the ability to customize the CMS. And only open source can offer such a good way to customize the CMS. So that's the two main reasons, so open source. And the other reason is that Strapi is completely customizable thanks to a plugin system. Strapi is also completely based on a JavaScript. So we use Node.js for the API and React for the dashboard, which means the developers can use the same language for the front end and the customization of the headless CMS, which is very helpful. And another thing is the flexibility. So having headless CMS, which is very flexible, is extremely important because if you are building a blog, then the content structure is very easy. You have blog posts with title content and so on. But if you are building a corporate website with a homepage and you have a tagline, then some testimonials, then a slider, and then a footer, so your content structure is quickly becoming very complex. So we really decided to focus on this at Strapi. And I really think we made one of the most flexible headless CMSs. So for example, we introduced the component system in the CMS, which means you have some pieces of content that you can reuse across different content types. 
So it could be a slider, for example. So you can say that I want a component which is a slider, which include another component which is a slide, and every slide should have an image and a link. And you are going to be able to use this slider in a product, in a blog post, or anything else. Now that's extremely important for complex projects. And we also introduced the dynamic zone concept because if you are building a web page, for example, you don't necessarily know what is going to be the structure of your page because maybe you, yeah, just. For example, when you are building your page, maybe on the fly, you want to have the possibility to say, I want to add a slider now and now I want to add a paragraph and so on and so on. So thanks to the dynamic zones, you can really build your page on the fly. And that adds a lot of flexibility. Give me a little bit more explanation for the Jamstack use case. So like I know when I'm talking to developers, usually they just want to build everything from scratch. Like if they're building a website and they know how to write React components, they're going to do everything in React. They're going to make all their own components or they're going to take some off the shelf from GitHub, but they're not going to use a CMS. My sense is that this is changing somewhat and that, you know, just like people look at Ruby on Rails or people look at, you know, Vue.js or or Next.js, People are comfortable looking at a CMS as basically a framework now. But I'm just trying to understand to what extent developers want to use a CMS as the basis for oftentimes what they're trying to make as a platform. Yeah, so developers don't necessarily want to use a CMS. Most of the time, they prefer to add the content directly in the code, which is fine. But if someone else in their team need to update the content, then it doesn't scale because the marketing team will want to have the possibility to update the content themselves. So that's exactly when a CMS makes sense. It's, you know, when you have a group of people who want to manage the content. So in that situation, the developer is going to kind of make dynamic a specific portion of all the entire website. And in, in this case, it really makes sense to connect the front end to a CMS. And the good thing is that the developer can still use all of their favorite technologies. And the typical customer use case, so take me through a typical customer use case or some of the prototypical customer use cases for people who are working with Strapi. Yeah, sure. So the main use case we have is editorial websites. So people are going to manage blog posts most of the time in a way more advanced way but you know it's typically the blog post use case so for example there is an entire section of ibm.com which is powered by strapi and they do manage content to publish it on their website the second use case is corporate website so it's really the .com website of a company where you are going to manage your content on the home page and then, for example, a list of features, some testimonials and this kind of things. And the third one is e-commerce website where people are going to manage products in Strapi and display it on their website or mobile application and they will handle the payment system most of the time with something like Snipcart, for example, and 
that's the three main use cases. But we also do have some IoT use cases, which is very interesting. And the headless CMS is definitely open new doors for these use cases. So some users built a mobile application, not a mobile application, but an IoT device for firemen. And when they are in a fire, the connected device actually gets some information and it is linked to Stripe. Interesting. So the IoT use case, like less of a publishing use case, that's more like almost like a low-code application use case. Yeah, exactly. But to give you another example, which is probably more easy to understand, the, the MIT decided to build a connected device which is in the street. And in case of an earthquake, this connected device is going to spread a message. And the message comes from Stripe. Amazing. And to that point, you have plugins, you have integrations with Redis and SendGrid and Algolia and the integration workflow for these different plugins. Where do they hook in? Yeah, so we truly believe in the power of plugins, because if you take a look at WordPress, for example, what made the success of WordPress is not WordPress itself, but it's really the ecosystem of plugins around it. So that's part of our strategy from the beginning. And we already have some plugins made by both the team and the community. So you can develop your own plugin using internal APIs. And so you can extend both the API, for example, to synchronize your data with Algolia, and also the dashboard. So you can, for example, add an entire section and add maybe a dashboard to analytics about your content. It can be something like this. The decoupling of the front end and the back end for this kind of headless CMS infrastructure, it leads to a well-defined architecture rather than you know a monolithic architecture you've got better separation of concerns i think can you tell me about the architecture of strapi itself yeah sure so strapi is based on nodejs so it's actually a simple nodejs application which can easily be deployed on any cloud or any platform as a service like heroku we decided to use koa as a main framework and Strapi is database agnostic, which means you can connect it to MySQL, Postgres, MongoDB, or SQLite, or even develop your own connector. And regarding the dashboard, Strapi is based on React. So we added our own Webpack configuration, and that's the main technologies. And we also developed our own React, React component library, so people can develop their own plugins using the same design. In Strapi, there is content delivery that happens over an API, and Strapi mainly has the content API, but there's two separate content, a collective and the single content type. Can you explain the difference between those two content types? Yeah, sure. So if you're building a blog or an e-commerce website, you are going to manage lists of products, lists of blog posts. So that's typically a collection type. So most of the time, our users choose to go with a collection type. But if you are building a corporate website and you have an homepage, for example, then you are going to have only one homepage 
on your website. And so you are going to use a single type, which means this content isn't repeatable, repeatable, so you can't have multiple home pages. And in this specific content type, you are going to say that this structure is first a tagline and then a slider and so on and so on. And this structure would be only for this specific content. Got it. What's the typical deployment model for Strapi? There are tons of possibilities, and we, we really see different options according to the company using Strapi. We do have a lot of users deploying on Heroku because it's really easy, but we also see some companies deploying on Kubernetes because Strapi can be dockerized. So there are really a lot of options. We do recommend a few options. We do have some guides, but... At the end, anyone can do what they want. So am I typically deploying it in a Docker container or on an EC2 instance? Or are there any recommendations? Or do you have a hosting model that, you know, if I'm using your company to deploy it, do you have a hosting model that you can describe? So we don't provide any hosting model at the moment. We will probably add this in the future to make our users' life easier. But at the moment, we just provide some guides, about one guide for each main provider, so AWS, GCP, and Microsoft Azure. So that's it for the moment, but we'll see what happens in the future. And so Strapi is built on Node. Do you use any other frameworks? Are there any other open source projects that are key in Strapi? Yeah, so the framework we use is Koa, which is very similar to Express. We use Bookshelf as an ORM to request the SQL databases, and we use Mongoose for MongoDB. So those are the, the main libraries. We also use Jest for testing. How big is the team? We are 17 in the team. Okay. And what are the priorities, the engineering priorities right now across the company? Yeah, so we raised a 10 million Series A last week, so we do have some priorities for the next 18 months. So first of all, we are going to focus on the community. We are community and product driven from the beginning. So we really want to make the best open source headless EMS. And we will continue to do this because this is really the impact we want to have. And then we are going to start selling the Enterprise Edition, which is actually an extension of the Community Edition. And this Enterprise Edition will include some advanced features, especially for marketing teams. So typically, it will include world-based access control, single sign-on, content internationalization, and contribution workflow. So that's a new challenge for us because until now we didn't do any revenue, but we have lots of requests for all of these features, so we are confident. And the last one is growing the ecosystem because as we said earlier, plugins are very important in the CMS. And so we are going to improve our plugin system to make super easy for anyone to develop a Stripey plugin. And we will also provide a marketplace so anyone can share their own plugins and download plugins from the community. And we are sure that we will see very impressive plugins and the product will uh, will grow faster that we contribute to it. Uh, that's going to be exciting. So what's the business model at this point? Uh, we don't have any. 
Okay, right. <laughs> so it's so it's like hopefully get you want to get to hosting eventually, I assume. Yeah. So the first business model would be the enterprise edition with all of these advanced features. Okay. And later we will probably have the hosting. Got it. Yeah, I guess that makes sense because the enterprise model, that's probably a more profitable or more lucrative business, at least in the short term. Yes. And, you know, there are lots of SaaS out there. So we don't have that much value if we provide a hosted version of Strapi. There are lots of other solutions for this. So we really want to focus on our users. And, you know, we have tons of requests for all of these advanced features. And we really want to make what our users want. And I think that's probably the, the best way to, to develop the product. That is intelligent. So the people who are using Strapi, they're not all developers. You have many content creators, you have non-technical people who interact with CMSs. How does that affect you as a developer of a system? What design decisions do you make to accommodate non-technical users? That's super interesting. So from the beginning, we target developers just because we were developers at the beginning. So it was just the best way to target this audience. And we actually realized that developers have a very big impact in the decision process when a company has to show their headless CMS. So most of the time, it's inside a team, which is managed by a product manager. So we also interact with product manager. And then when the project is done, the developers give access to the content editors. So currently, we still focus on developers. That's what we do. So it's a bottom-up approach. And then we we also see a lot of product managers contacting us for all of these enterprise features and also regarding so for questions related to content editors. So that's the typical workflow. So developers first, then product managers, and then content editors. Got it. So the static site generators like Gatsby and Jekyll, these have also become popular. What's the build path for a Strapi instance? Does it get to a completely static site or is there some dynamic element that still has some latency associated with it? Yeah, so Strapi is dynamic. It's an OGS application. You cannot build it like a static website generator. And so you actually, uh, you can deploy it on Heroku, for example, but not on Netlify because Netlify doesn't support the Node.js application. And also you need a database for, for Strapi. And so there are some Git-based CMSs, but the problem is that it doesn't really scale because when you start having lots of content and lots of relations between content, then it's not really good, even if it can be hosted on a static hosting provider. So that's why we decided to go dynamic with Strapi. Just to revisit the question of other CMSs, when you look at Strapi and its architecture and the differentiation from the other CMS platforms, what do you think you've done right? What has differentiated you the most from those other platforms? I think we really made something for developers. And again, they have a very big impact in the decision process. So we really did something which is very good for developers. We really focused on the developer experience. And so that's why we, we've built such a big community. So no regret on this. And tell me more about the engineering of the backend. So what is the architecture like and what are the problems that you're working on right now? 
Yeah, so on the backend, the main challenges are definitely the plugin system. So we do have built a very scalable plugin system so anyone can use internal APIs. That's quite a challenge. And we also did a lot of improvements in the last few weeks for the stable release of Strapi. So we drastically reduced the number of files in the Strapi project. So it's much more lightweight and it makes updates easier because when we release a new version of Strapi, it has to be easy to update your current project. And so the next challenges I think would be to make things even more simple. And again, it's really about the plugin system. Tell me more about the plugin system. How do you create the right ecosystem, the right hooks in to a plugin ecosystem? I think you have to start from zero and manage it like a product, which means you start with the need from users. And so, for example, someone is going to say, I need to build this plugin, so I need to plug to Strapi specifically at this moment. So, for example, it can be before a content type is created. And so the developer is going to ask you this specific hook, and only if someone asks you this, you have to build it. And then you have to document it first, I think. So you can do documentation first development, and then you are going to develop this specific hook. And what are some examples of plugins and the architecture of the plugins? Yeah, so if you want to build, for example, a plugin for Algolia, you need to know that every time a content is created, updated, or deleted, you need to get the type of this content. So you need to know that a post has been updated, and then you need to you need the content of this post. So you need to title the content and so on. And at this specific moment, you are going to synchronize with Algolia. So that's some you would need in this example. So that's a very backend oriented plugin because you only manage content. But then if you want, for example, to add specific things in the dashboard of Strapi, that's another thing. And one thing we are going to focus on in the next few months is the custom fields. So that way you don't only have access to the default fields such as text, image, and so on, but you can also add a custom field such as Shopify. And that way in Strapi, you can select a product which is actually from the Shopify API. And you just don't realize it's coming from somewhere else. You just select the product and in the in Strapi, it's going to save the Shopify product ID and that's it. So that's something we really want to focus on. Another example for this is the GeoJSON field to have some kind of maps. So in a content, you can select a specific location and that will be from a custom field. Got it. You know, you mentioned this use case of IBM earlier, and I think of IBM as quite a large company, probably has a lot of legacy CMS systems internally, probably has a lot of legacy data sources internally. What's the process for such a legacy company, you know, setting up Strapi and migrating all their existing resources to being visible to Strapi? So most of the time, big companies start with very small projects and or sections of their website. 
So, you know, they never start with a very, very big project. So you really want to battle test a strapi in production, and then they decide to go to bigger project. And if they want to migrate there, most of the time they have to build their own script because, you know, they use very old CMSs. So we are not going to offer this kind of scripts for the old CMSs. Probably in the future, we will provide importers, which means you can import content from Medium, for example, but definitely not from very old CMSs. Got it. And coming back to the plugin ecosystem, actually, you know, you mentioned Shopify, you've mentioned Algolia, and one could imagine building a pretty richly featured website out of these different kinds of components. It kind of brings to mind, again, the low-code platforms where, you know, you can have this kind of drag-and-drop interaction to construct websites how do you compare the burgeoning Jamstack CMS ecosystem to the low-code ecosystem? I think the Headless and Jamstack ecosystem is going low-code because we see more and more easy-to-use projects. And I think the Headless and the Jamstack actually added a lot of complexity, especially because you know it's only for custom projects, it's only for developers. But the reality is that in a few years, you will use a headless CMS and you won't even know it. Because I think you will have the possibility to pick a design, so a website design, which can be a corporate website or a blog post or anything else. And then design will be automatically connected to a headless CMS, maybe the headless CMS of your choice. And that way you will have a completely up and running website connected to the headless CMS, maybe also connected to Algoria or anything else and it will be deployed on Netlify or Vessel and you know you will just have to select some components and you will use the entire Jamstack and without any code and maybe you won't even know that you will use a headless CMS and if you take a look at the current CMS market so typically you have very uh, no-code solutions such as Webflow and at the opposite, you have headless CMSs. And I think that the headless CMSs will connect more and more to things like Webflow. And also Webflow will go more and more to headless CMSs because headless CMSs offer tons of possibilities. And it's really complex to build a headless CMS. So maybe in some use cases, it would make sense to use native headless CMS instead of the CMS from Webflow or another solution. So I really look forward to seeing what is what will be the evolution in this ecosystem. Mm. Regarding the static site deployment, you know, obviously you said it was dynamic, Strapi's dynamic, and so it's not deployable to Netlify, for example. Can you see a path towards getting to static deployments? Would that be desirable? For Strapi? Yes. I don't think so because it would be desirable if you have yeah if you have a project which is very simple but as soon as you have a project which is complex you know you have lots of parameters when someone requests an API so it's never the same content so I definitely think it's good to build the front end and host it on a static hosting provider but I think the CMS has to stay dynamic and you know it's 
really easy to to host something like Strapi. It scales very well, both horizontally and vertically. And if you want to cache the content, you can just use a CDN on top of the CMS. And that way you have kind of a static CMS. Got it. In the users of the ecosystem, do you see any bias towards React or Vue? No, we we have users from every community. So I think the Jamstack is in general is not focused on a specific technology. And that's good. Tell me a little bit about the journey to creating Strapi. The early days and the I think you've been at it for longer than six years, right? Yeah, five years, actually. So we started Strapi in 2015. We actually were students, so we are three co-founders. We worked a lot as freelance developers. We used a lot of traditional CMSs. But yeah, when we had to do a mobile application or a website using all of those modern technologies, it was Angular at the time. You know, it was not a great fit. So we decided to build something for our customers' projects. We started using it, and at the end of 2015, we just say, we're probably not alone in this situation, so let's push the code on GitHub and let's see what happens. And we started having lots of users. We are still students, so it was super exciting. We spent our nights and weekends on Strapi to maintain it as much as we could. And at the end of university, we decided to create a company behind the open source project and to switch full-time on it. So we started at the web agency because we, we didn't have cash. <laughs> so we had to make money. And so we did a lot of websites using Strapi. And then we, we actually did a first uh, fundraising one in uh, 2018. And then another one in 2019 and now another one in 2020. So it allowed us to stay full-time on the project, which is, I think, very important because when you work as a freelancer or as a web agency, you know, the, the clients are kind of a trap because you have to build very custom things and you actually lose the focus on the product. So I think it's really important to have the possibility to switch for time on it. And how did that process of building customer-facing websites with your own framework, how did that treat you as, as a way of bootstrapping the product development? Yeah, so actually, I think they, they just didn't know we were using Strapi at the beginning. Just at the end of, of the project, we gave access to this client. So this is the CMS, and it was fine. So that's how we, we got started. So the customer didn't really know the difference? Not really, and even some customers wanted to stop using WordPress. So it was actually a good opportunity for us. And sometimes we just said at the beginning that our only constraint is that we want to use Strapi. And because we were the maintainers, they were okay with this. And how much inspiration did you take from WordPress's user model and, and WordPress's permission model and the whole UI and the workflow of WordPress? Yeah, so WordPress is definitely inspiring. We are very impressed by what they did, especially being completely open source, building this marketplace and having such a big community and creating a real ecosystem of thousands of companies building things on top of WordPress, such as templates, plugins. That's really impressive and it's really inspiring. 
because it's very complex to do. Having a marketplace, you know, you never know what is going to be published on the marketplace, but at the same time, you have to open it. So that's something which is very interested. I think there is quite a big gap between the community edition of WordPress and the .com website, the WordPress.com. So it's definitely not the same target. It's probably a good idea for them, but I think it's also a risk because they don't get a lot of value from their open source community. So that's something we try to do differently. Mm. So the journey at this point looks like you just raised $10 million, you got 17 people, you're building access management tooling, and you are hopefully at some point going to get to hosting. Give me a little bit more on the tactical positioning where you're at right now and how you've aligned the company towards the goals that you're trying to accomplish. Yeah, sure. So our first priority is really to grow the usage because this is what will grow revenue and our impact and everything else. So to increase the size of the community, so we really take care of them. We provide great support and documentation. We also try to be very active on our GitHub repository. So we answer to every issue, review pull requests. So that's a lot of work, but it's really a good way to build such a big community. Another thing is that we publish a lot of tutorials. So we are not the first to do this, but it definitely works well. So we provide lots of tutorials, such as how to build the blog with Strapi and Gatsby. So that way we do some kind of partnerships with the other communities. So the community is our first focus. And then the other thing, so on the enterprise side, that's also a very tactical thing that we have to do in the next few few months. It's really to make sure that we can convert not everyone, of, of course, but a sufficient number of companies from the community edition to the enterprise edition. So we are going to add a pricing page on our website. And I think we will build a sales pipeline and uh, so people can subscribe and get demos of these features. So that's going to be quite a big challenge, but that's also going to be uh, very interesting to see lots of companies switching to the enterprise edition and to make the project sustainable. And another thing is that we're also going to increase our presence in the US, because as you may know, we started Stripe in France. We already have an employee in San Francisco who is our VP marketing, and we are going to increase the number of people in the team so in the US. Just to, to wrap up, I was thinking about WordPress, and one of the things that has made WordPress WordPress is the vast landscape of plugins and i understand you've built this plugin system you you know you, there are hooks into the the strappy system wordpress really has the whole like sales model they have this whole marketplace is the vision for the strappy system similar to that marketplace model yes so it's part of our business models and the first features in the enterprise edition will be developed from us but then we really would like to go as soon as possible to the marketplace plugin, not only for the revenue, but really because it will encourage people to create plugins with high quality and you know it will really make Strapi much more powerful. So that's something we really would look forward to do. Magento is maybe a better example for the marketplace. So yeah, we have different sources of inspiration. Understood. 
Well, Pierre, thank you so much for coming on the show. It's been really great talking to you. Thanks to you, Jeff. Thanks a lot for your time.